God, I wish I would have hit that recording like two <laughs> seconds a, earlier. A little sooner. Just a little sooner. <laughs> a little sooner. Oh, man. Now they're not going to know what we're talking about in the uncut version that we're going to put on Patreon. I'm going to put, I'm going to leave this whole front end on just, just for, <laughs> just for curiosity to kill everybody. Welcome to another episode of Anime Autopsy. I'm Alex. This is Brandon. We're missing Tori this week. Tori is sick as a fucking dog right now. So we're running a two-man ship. It's a good thing that you came on when you did, or I'd be talking to myself. And I've done that before on a podcast, and it's super weird. Yeah, I have no doubt that it's super weird. I, I did actually one, literally just one. And I remember, I think I even put it into like the detail notes. I was like, this is super weird talking to myself like a fucking psychopath. And of course, I'm looking at the video version of myself talking also. So it's just a yeah. cool mind fuck. <laughs> yeah. Housekeeping notes. The intro, outro song is I Just Want to Be Great by Nefex, as usual. Join the Facebook group. Become part of the community over there. Bunches of memes as of late. Take a second to leave us a five-star review on Spotify or whatever platform you're using. And it just dawned on me like today that we I've been doing podcasting for about a year or so, uh, including my other show that I used to do. And I've never once plugged my Twitch channel, not even once. And I, I'm on Twitch every single weekend. But um, twitch.tv forward slash Alexander Cahoon. That link is in the bio below. Um, leave us a voicemail to review on the podcast live. We're going to do a whole episode once we gather enough voicemails as far as that goes. And then we've got Blue Room Media, who did our podcast logo. Yeah, so Blue Room Media is my media company that I own. Um, and we do anything from logos, music videos, lyric videos, photography, uh, motion graphics, uh, pretty much anything animation related or graphic related we got you uh and we also work with businesses do weddings all kinds of things basically it's a multimedia company and just uh go check out his website it's got a bunch of little tidbits there and i know that your social media has like a bunch of clips and basically shows what you can do shows your chops and he's really fucking good so instagram.com slash blue room media company and you know, uh, Facebook at Blue Room Media. All right. So just a little vibe check. How are you feeling this week? How's it going? How's life? Uh, I'm ready for the weekend for sure. Hey, fucking man on that. Yeah, I got I'm going to see Beartooth and Silverstein and the Divorce Prada and Era. Oh, my God. In Nashville. Really? Yeah. Dude, I would fucking kill to go see Devil Wars Prada again. Do it. And Silverstein. Oh, my God. I, I I just recently got into... It's Silverstein, right? Is that how you yeah. say their name? Okay. Yeah. I just now got into them like within the like last year. I totally missed that boat whenever they first got what? popular. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I just... One of those bands like totally escaped me. It's, wow. That's like right before Spotify and all that stuff got popular. Yeah. So the ease of access, I guess. I mean, you had but, Groove Shark, so... No or excuses. like Rhapsody. Well, I mean, like Lime, LimeWire. During that time, I didn't even have a computer. So, <laughs> like, and much less a cell phone. So, like, I don't know. 
just somehow missed that. But I remember seeing the Devil Wears Prada at Warp Tour, probably like oh, yeah. one of the whenever the zombie EP came out. And I remember that being, was the year it rained. Yeah. Were you there? I was there. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Okay. I, I went to Warp Tour a few times. So um, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but whenever it was raining, like they, like obviously they like kind of crammed all the headliners in before it, the, the rain took out everything. Yeah. But they were playing one of the songs from the zombie EP. It's the one where it has that shotgun cock and blast noise right oh, before yeah, the breakdown. Yeah. yeah. Right as that. Uh, the shotgun cocks. I saw this lightning piece come through the streak through the sky, and Dude. then the thunder noise happened as the breakdown started. I remember looking at my friend going, Did you just see what I saw? And he goes, Yeah. And then we just ran to the pit. <laughs> that is just a, a one in a kind, like, or not one in a kind, a one of a kind experience to have to see that particular show at that particular moment. And the lightning strikes right at the breakdown. Dude, that is like, I, and I've seen plenty of, of my favorite bands, yeah. but that experience, that Warp Tour was just so cool. And I don't know what it was. It was just something about that Warp Tour that year that was just great. It's the last one I went to. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad it was. No, that's not true. That was the second to last one. The last one I went to was bullshit, but that's a it was, whole different uh, side tangent. You know, the... Uh, they really had us out there moshing at 10 a.m. and 92 degree weather. Well, that is the first time <laughs> I was introduced to August Burns Red. Um, oh, yeah, they're so good. I, I want to say Whitechapel was on that on that show also. I don't think um, I was at that one because the first time that I saw Whitechapel was at Track 29 with Asking Alexandria of all bands. I Dude, I've seen Asking Alexandria four times live. So no, I'm no saying judging. the tour didn't make sense. <laughs> dude <laughs> i've went to some weird okay I, I went i took my mom for mother's day one of her favorite bands is bullet for my valentine so nice. i was like oh cool they're gonna be in town i'll take you for mother's day and it just so happened that asking alexandria was on that tour they were the co-headliners i was like so you that saw doesn't make, accident it's like that doesn't make very much sense but i've seen them before but it was the one tour uh, after they released that album Black, where they had Dennis do the vocals, this is whenever Danny was kicked out or whatever. So, like for um, a very limited amount of time, he toured with Asking Alexander doing the vocals. So, like I got to see like one of the one one of the few shows before they kicked him out. So, kind of crazy. nice. Wow, side tangent. All right, vibe check. We're both great. Um, yes. <laughs> so cut that and put that on the music podcast. There we go. <laughs> But yeah, I'm I'm totally ready for the weekend. It's been cram packed with work. I've been I've been juggling all kinds of shit. People have been sick. Abel got my son got sick on Tuesday. Tori got sick yesterday or today and yesterday. So it's it's been a fucking wild wild ride here. But let's jump into some Tokyo Ghoul. We're covering episodes six through ten. This is going to be part two of our Tokyo Ghoul series. Let's see here. Episode six, Cloudburst. Siyama is defeated by Toka with Kaneki and Nishio's help. But the recent developments in the 20th Award draw the attention of the police who send two of their investigators, Wild Eyes and Kuro Aman, to hunt down all ghouls in the area. And these are some bad motherfuckers. Mado is he's so so good and he, he lacks um how could you say empathy. sanity 
Sanity and empathy. (laughs) He is perfect for his job role. Now, Kuro is, he's sort of, kind of, in that same vein, but he's got way more empathy, humanity, because at first, when when we meet him, he's very much, fuck all ghouls, all ghouls are evil. And then very quickly within these uh, few episodes, uh, something strikes a nerve in him. So to where he's kind of like, oh, Jesus, it's not as I've been told. Maybe all ghouls are not evil. Amon is one of the most thought out characters is what I'm trying to get at here. Um, he shows major character growth from point E, point A to point B, meaning from this first meeting to the end of the, I guess, the third season. He is probably one of, besides Kaneki, he's like mm-hmm. the character who changes the most. If you're a Game of Thrones watcher, think, um, what's that Lannister uh, son? I don't know, man. I don't watch Porn with Dragons. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Jamie. So... If you think about it, if you're a Game of Thrones watcher, think Jamie Lannister. From episode one, Jamie Lannister is a fuckhead. Now, by the end of the series, like he's had this huge growth in character. And I thought, you know, I hated him at first. He literally pushed a boy out of a tower in the first episode. And by the end of the, the series, I was a huge fan of him. Like he had, he did like a full 180. So think about him like that, where Kuro is just wanting to kill all ghouls. I keep catching myself. I want to say demons because we just finished Demon Slayer. Kill all demons. Um, it's a, it's and then different anime. <laughs> by the end of season three, he's completely different. But yeah, mm-hmm. good point. He is. Um, so whenever you first meet him, like you said, he's very anti ghoul. Um, and we don't find out about his character development until he meets Kaneki, yes. which we will get to. We pick up right where we left off on episode five. Uh, so we're still uh, with the gourmet, and he's still trying to, I guess, eat Kaneki while Kaneki's eating somebody else. So Toka has showed up. We pick up you know, right there. Toka powers up by taking a munch out of Ken's neck. And after the gang defeats uh, defeats Kiyama, Toka decides that uh, Nishiki's girlfriend knows too much and she must die. When she compliments Toka's uh, Kagune, she's in like this weird shock, I guess. So like right, so like she's about to eat her and she compliments how pretty her Kagune is. So she's just like, what the fuck? And then just kind of freaks out, spazzes, and then, you know, runs away i mean if i had been eating people for many years and then somebody told me that my cognac was pretty i would probably freak out too but it like that little tidbit that's like a little bit of character growth because at this point she's even told kaneki that if your best friend finds out that you're a girl you're a ghoul i'm gonna have to kill him so don't don't fuck up and you know don't slip Mm -hmm. and tell him so she's right there like you know, like his girlfriend is the living example of ghouls and humans can live side by side and be okay. Yeah. So for this to be Toka's character growth, it's her aha moment where she finds out, you know, maybe not all humans have to be killed by ghouls. 
And from episode one, she's showed that she's very jaded in the way that she feels about humans and ghouls and stuff like that. So, like, this is actually a pretty major step in the right direction as we go through this series. So, the next scene does show Nishiki is the newest employee of the coffee shop. So, he's been brought into the coffee shop. He's been taken in. He's the next... Um, Nishiki is now an employee of Anteku Coffee Shop. And Hinami is starting to act out because her dad is missing. They're in a fit. And, you know, her mom does not know what to do with her. Yeah, her mom's at a total loss. And just as a revamp from last week, Hinami and her mother have seeked refuge at the coffee shop because of Jason has been fucking with their family. More um, specifically, uh, Hinami's dad, which is the doctor. And from what I gather, he's a doctor, but like he fixed his weapon. I don't really know exactly what he does, but he's got something to do with he he's gotten involved with the wrong people, basically. Just imagine your friend from high school that started selling drugs at a high school, and now all of a sudden he's dealing with like cartel members. Like it's yeah. that drastic of a difference. So Jason is shown hassling the doctor, enemy's dad, in the next scene. The doves show up, Wild Eyes and Kuro. They pull out their Quincase. Uh, Quincase is a weapon manufactured from a ghoul's body used by the CCG ghoul investigators. So think, uh, the, just think of a Kagune sort of, but instead of it being coming out of their backs, they kind of wield it as like uh, usually like a sword. Um, there are certain ones who shoot like a gun, like a machine yeah, gun. Yeah, there's all kinds of uh, Quincase. I think Wild Eyes at this point has one that sort of looks like a bonk hammer. I don't know how to explain it, but it breaks in this fight, so it doesn't survive very long. Yeah, he's, um, he's sad about it, too. Or maybe his had tentacles. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Not important. It breaks in this fight. Um, there's the one that looks like a spine. Yeah, there's some really cool ones uh, in, yeah. in, the, in the TV show. But uh, Jason gets the upper hands pretty easily, and... Uh, you know, makes his escape. The doves murder the doctor as he tries to defend himself. And uh, just as a little tidbit before we get to it later on, the doctor did have a um, cognate of his own and it seemed to be quite powerful. It just seems that he didn't, he wasn't very much trained to fight. So he was kind of taken out uh, pretty easily. Yeah. He's, he was, um, he was not faring very well against Mado and Amon because they have all of this training and he has probably just been fixing people all of his life. He doesn't know how to tear them apart, except he's a ghoul, so he eats them alive. Just imagine going to get checked, like going for your checkup and then getting into a fist fight with your doctor. Probably doesn't know how to fight very well. Um Hinami and her mother go shopping for a present for her, uh, for her father, and they get separated as Hinami picks up the scents of her father. The scent leads her to an alley, uh, to an alleyway directly to the doves, Wild Eyes, and Amon. Her mother conceals her in her kagane to share a few last words and then tells her to run. This scene is so flippin' sad. Yes, this scene is so sad. So Hinami's mother tells her to run. She starts trying to fight. And then, bam, the episode ends. Yeah. And you know that it's just... There's you just know what's going to no, happen. There's no save in it. You know what's going to happen. So episode seven, 
captivity. Hinami's mother is killed by Mato. And then Tokyo... T- Tokyo, wow. Tokyo. <laughs> eh, anyways, Toka attacks members of the ghoul investigators and kills Kusaba. And then she's also wounded by Mato. So Kaneki tells Toka that he wants to fight the ghoul investigators and is given his mask, which is awesome. Ba-ba-ba. He's probably got the, one of the coolest masks in the whole show. True. I mean, he is the main character, so... Yeah, I totally want an eye patch tattoo somewhere at some point. And that's another thing. After he starts getting noticed with this mask, they start calling him the eye patch ghoul. How fucking dope is that? Fucking like, <laughs> have you heard about the eye patch? Yeah, they're, everybody's scared about, you know, they're like, they definitely don't want to run into that guy. Which is so funny because like the character up until this point, kind of a bitch, you know? But yeah, like, I know <laughs> it changes. It changes. Um, he's he's weak at the beginning, right? Uh, so right where we left off, enemy runs into Ken on the streets as she's running away, and they run back towards the doves and her mother. Uh, we see the reason enemy picked up her father's sense is because Wild Eyes has turned her father's Kagune into a Quinque. And he murders uh, her mother right in front of Kaneki and Hinami as they're uh, hidden at the end of this little um, alleyway. So that's the sad part I was talking about. Like, mur- yeah. like, just imagine that, man. Like, your mother gets slaughtered right in front of you. With your dad's cockney. Oh, man. That's just fucked up. It is so messed up on many levels. Um, but the the cool thing about it is a significant character development for Hinami because she grows up real fast after that. And she you know? she grows into a very strong like yes. female role in the in the later seasons. This is just, you know, fast tracking. <clears throat> I mean, I guess ghouls don't really have the option to be kids and grow up and have like a a normal upbringing obviously. So this, I mean, as much as it sucks, it she remains a very positive influence in the ghoul community where she could have just taken this and just went straight bad. Right. Becoming the next Jason. Dude. Who knows? (laughs) And then, you know, Toka gets this news and she's like, oh, hell no. (laughs) She's, she wants to go get revenge on these doves. Yeah. She's, she's flipping the fuck out. She wants to go after, Wild Eyes and Kotaro, um Aman. So she's basically told not to. She's told to just, you know, forget about it. It's too risky. Rize had already, you know, put their ward on high alert. That's why the devs are there in the first place. So for her to go out and seek her revenge immediately, no less too. So like they would just know that it was in response to what they had just done. So yeah. it, it would just put them on blast and invites more investigating in their ward, which is the last thing that they want. Relatively, their ward is very quiet up until now. Uh, we kind of glossed over it in the last episode, but um, the way that Anteku gets their food, uh, as per se, you know, their human food. When they go um, food shopping? There is a bridge that uh, Yomo takes Kaneki to, 
and it is a bridge that people go there to commit suicide. Um, so it's definitely super dark. Um, yep. If you didn't see that in the last episode, you didn't hear that in the last episode. Ooh, I don't think I mean, we talked about it. Uh, we, I think we kind of, we did gloss over quite a bit. Um, but Japan does have a history of like, it's yeah. kind of weird to say, but suicide is just kind of in kind of like a big part of their culture too. So like samurais, whenever they were shamed, they would, I could, there's a, there's a specific word for it, but instead of like a defeat, sometimes they would stab themselves in the gut, which is it's effectively seppuku. That's what it is. So I mean, like in a weird way, it's kind of like in their culture. So like, they're like, I don't know how to explain it really. They're like oddly comfortable with the idea of suicide where we're like, we as Westerners would be like, oh, you're going to hell or something. Yeah. Uh, I just personally, I don't see a need for that. Um, if you struggle with it, there's always somebody to talk to, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. If you're having it, like there are plenty of phone numbers, there's plenty of people to reach out to. And I wouldn't even like, I wasn't even like putting it in that presence. Like it was like yeah. a mental illness or some sorts. It right. was like a, if the Japanese people, like if they had disgraced their family, yeah, it's, they'd it's, be like, oh, this it's is a different culture. Yeah. For sure. This is my way of paying um, back my family for what I've done. So they rack up so much debt that they don't want to have to deal with it. Um, and in Japan, the laws are different. Uh, whereas here, your next of kin would inherit your debt. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't believe that's the case in well, Japan. I don't. I don't remember the specifics or where it's at. But there's like that forest in Japan where yeah, people go and like that's what they do. They go to that forest and they commit suicide. Anyways, way dark. But yeah, way, that's way that, dark. That that's how they get their food. So like they're not hurting anybody. They just happen to take advantage of a situation that apparently happens so much in that one yeah. spot where the people jump off and kill themselves to where they're able to source most, if not all of their foods from that, that very spot. Exactly. So that was the point I was trying to drive across is that the Anteku are a peaceful uh, group of ghouls. The, the they, polar opposite of what people think ghouls are, yeah. basically. So this opens Kaneki's eyes whenever he sees things like this. And um, since he is now half ghoul, he feels obligated to serve the ghouls as he would humans. And the manager brings up a very good thing. I don't know if it's in these episodes or if it was in the last ones, but at some point the manager was talking to him and he's like, you know, I'm half human i my kind doesn't want me because i'm half ghoul and then the ghouls don't want me because i'm half human and he's like no 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 you have your feet in both worlds which makes you the perfect person to unite the two like you you're not unwanted by both you're the perfect person to bring these two polar opposite beings together as one and that's another thing too uh, because toka brought up the fact that there's more than one way that you can be turned into a ghoul. We touched on it last episode, but I forgot about this one. Uh, if a human and a ghoul 
have a child together, that goal will become a one-eyed goal. Right. More often than not, the baby won't come to fruition, I think, right? Is that right? Right. They normally... If it does. It's normally not um, a good situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it does happen to you know, be born, then it would be half and half, just like Kaneki. Yeah. And as rare as Kaneki is, uh, we do, coming into the second season, we'll be meeting a few one-eyed ghouls. Coming back yeah. to the episodes, uh, upon the news, Toka is very pissed and wants revenge. Mm-hmm. So she does seek that revenge out. After um, after Kotaro has dinner with two co-workers, so there's a pretty heartwarming conversation i kind of hated this like it was a little sad but he has like you know a pretty heartwarming conversation between the co-workers right before toka murders one of them uh yeah effectively the nicest one out of the group uh toka is outmatched by kuro and wild eyes shows up and she basically runs off she said no i'm gonna dip out because i'm not gonna deal with this guy again he hurt me last time but what she does, like, she, she puts the whole ward on blast, basically, what we talked about before. Once back at the coffee shop, the manager kicks her out, putting the shop and everyone at risk. So, I mean, I don't know. She just, she's kind of a hothead. She wasn't thinking before she acts. And then, so she's kicked out so that everyone else could be safer. But the damage is done. So, Kaneki decides to help Toka with her revenge um, for whatever reason. Um, He's in love. I guess so. Like, it it doesn't... Well, okay. It does make sense. He did watch um, Hanami's mother die also. So, like, he's just... He wants it just as bad as she does, I guess. Uh, So, Kaneki picks up his mask from uh, Uda before the showdown with the doves. And Kotaro has a workouts montage like fucking Rocky. And it kind of cliffhangs there. I... For whatever reason, I like a good workout montage, so I, I enjoyed that piece. The only thing I was missing was Eye of the Tiger playing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or the, the Forrest Gump scene where he's playing ping pong. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what a good movie. Anyone who has not seen um, <clears throat> Forrest Gump is it, it's a travesty. Go out of your way. It's It's great. I've probably seen it maybe a hundred times growing up. Episode 8, Circular. Hinami escapes from Onteku and is confronted by Wild Eyes. After he lured her with her dead mother's purse, in the manga it is actually her mother's arms, just so you know. Toka and Kaneki went looking for her and faced Wild Eyes in Aman. Boo, censorship in the media. Boo. Boo. (laughs) It should have been her arm in the anime. Dude, it's fucking... Okay. <laughs> as gruesome as this show gets from time to time... It doesn't make sense why they replaced that. arm? Why? Dude! <laughs> in episode one at the end, whenever she's trying to... Uh, Toga's trying to force feed uh, Kaneki, she's she's holding a hand. She's saying, hey, bite yeah. this. It makes no sense. At all. Uh, so, Hinami has snuck off with the scent of one of her parents in the air. She just fell for this trick, um, leading her to the sewers. That's that, that red flag number two, motherfucker, where her mm. mother is stuffed into a briefcase. It's so sad. And I get it. She's a kid. But, dude, 
Sometimes characters in the show are just sort of dumb. I thought she yeah, was going to, my first watch, though, I thought she was going to die in this episode for sure. Uh, the Green Lantern comics. Kyle Rayner comes home and he was fighting Major Force or whatever. And he comes home to find out that Major Force has strangled his wife and stuffed her in the refrigerator. No shit. That's a Green yeah. Lantern comic? Yeah, dude. I know uh, DC can get dark, but I didn't realize Green Lantern got dark. So dark. That's fucked <laughs> up. But yeah, so that I, that's what that reminded me of. You know, she gets stuffed in a briefcase and I was like, oh. Can I guess the year? Uh, Yeah, hang on. Let me see. Pull back up. Okay, if I had to guess like a, a time era, that would be late 80s, early 90s. Am I right? No. Okay, late, late, late 80s to late 90s. Somewhere in that tenure. And I had no idea that this event even happened in comics. But I'm just kind of guessing as far as like where comics were at at the time. 90s. Uh, this character first ap- appeared in 94. Booyah! I fucking knew it. So it was the 90s. So... Um, so the, the, this fight starts, um, we've got Kaneki versus Amon, and then we've got Toka versus Wild Eyes with, um, Hinami around, uh, that section of the fight, but they're split up into two different fights. One's happening outside of the sewer, uh, one's happening inside of the sewer. Um, Ken uses quite a bit of, um, time trying to talk Amon. Trying to help him see that ghouls aren't what he thinks. They are yes. more human than society would lead him and the others to believe. So this is where this is coming in, where Amon is having his beliefs challenged. And this this whole time, like, you can see that he wants to eat him. At, the, at one point, he lets the, re, I guess, the quote-unquote Rize portion of him, the ghoul side, take over uh, because it's obviously more powerful. Yes. And he is still trying to hold himself back from eating him. And he sees this. And there, there is a quote in the episode, and I can't believe I didn't write this down somewhere. But um, he basically, he's just trying to t- like acknowledge him like, hey, we're not all bad. We're not what you think. You know, there are good ghouls. He is saying things like, you know, I won't fight you or something like that and then Amon's like hitting him and he's just not doing anything and he's like why won't you fight back why aren't you trying to eat me and the only thing he's trying to do is like you know he's trying to like teach him you know or whatever but like he's trying to keep him separated from wild eyes because he knows that if he gets to wild eyes they'll overpower Toka and like so like this is the only real way that he can make sure that enemy's okay Toka's okay and like you know, it, it's a it's a cool scene. So like that, it starts that slow roll of challenging Amon's beliefs when it comes to ghouls. Um, Hinami is able to cut Wild Eyes' hands off uh, using her Kagane, and if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time she's ever been able to produce her Kagane, uh, which uh, looks like a mix of both her parents. Uh, Wild right. Eyes is defeated. R.I.P. Weirdo. Um, just as Kaneki is about to flip his lid, Yomo comes to his aid to bring him home. So he's his his ghoul side at this point is totally trying to Going take over nuts. his his hunger is starting to come into effect and he's turning, you know, kind of rabid. Kind of like think of like a dog with like rabies. Right. <laughs> basically. 
let's talk about the death of Mato real quick. Yeah, go ahead. It, with having known the character for such a short time, it still was impactful to you because of how impactful it was to Amon. Yes. Um, he was so upset whenever Mato died and uh, he feels like it's his fault because he wasn't there. Um, but then also, as for Hinami's sake goes, she got her revenge. Yeah, It wasn't Toka's revenge to get. It wasn't Kaneki's revenge. It was Hinami's revenge. We do learn a little tidbit at the end of this episode. Well, it's a hint instead of... Um, it's a hint of something to learn coming forwards. Upon inspection of Wild Eyes, he's wearing a ring that means a great deal to Toka. And we don't exactly know what it is, I don't believe. But I think it turns out to be one of her parents. He is the one... He makes a statement in the middle of that fight that... She is one of the last surviving of her family. And he said something. He killed her parents, basically. And she's one of the last people he needs to kill in that family line to snuff that family line out. So he kept that ring in hopes of luring Toka to him. Yeah. Because of the scent. You know, he is really set up to be... Okay, so in this show, the humans think of ghouls as the fucking foul demon beasts. But for, as a viewer, we actually see um, Wild Eyes as that. Exactly. So it, it, it's a weird, like from the viewer's point of view, he, he is a, he's a fucking monster. And they go out of their way to very much humanize him as a character from the perspective of um, Amon. And we'll get into that at the beginning of episode nine. But like you were saying, um, mm-hmm. he is very much a big deal. Like losing him, it breaks Amon's heart. Like he legitimately grieves him. And what's crazy, if it was switched and Amon died and Wadai survived, he probably wouldn't think two seconds about that and be like, well, it happens in the line, this line of business. Yeah. And because Mato's, he's got a one track mind. Yeah, he uh, he just all he thinks about is killing ghouls, and it is because something bad happened to him whenever he was young and caused him to hate ghouls so much he wanted to be an investigator, and then being an investigator means you kill a bunch of ghouls, and that made him even crazier because he had to deal with all those deaths, you know. And then at, at this point, you know, at the end of his life, he's just completely batshit and. That's where he that's where he fell off. I do know that they referenced um he would be higher up on the totem pole if it wasn't for a certain fuck up he had made at some point. And mm-hmm. I know there are some episodes, um there's like three or plus episodes where it deals with it's basically prequel episodes. And I don't know if they touch on his story at all in those episodes because I hadn't finished it yet. But if they if they didn't, they should at some points. You said there's prequel episodes where mm-hmm. if it's on Crunchyroll or the Funimation app or both. But See, I didn't know about that. Yeah, I, I watched uh, a few of them um, before I started rewatching the series. I just okay. haven't, haven't had a chance to complete it. But I think the prequel character it surrounds so far is the leader of the doves in season three 
the white haired guy that's like the mentor to um oh uh, Arima. Yeah. He's got it's before he has purple uh, before he has white hair. His hair's like it's, purple. Uh, his his name is what is his name? Kishio. Kishio Arima. Yeah. That's his name. He is a badass. Yes. I cannot wait to get to him at some point. <laughs> After the battle with Mato, Hinomi starts living with Toka and Kaneki. And still mourning the loss of his partner, Amon is relocated to the 11th Ward, where the police are having trouble facing some dangerous ghouls who do not fear them. The Algiri Tree. Man, I cannot wait to get into them. Dude, they're so fucking dope. But uh, that's episode 10. Um, flashback yeah. with... Uh, Amon and Wild Eyes shows them starting to work together. So he's the beginning of this episode is very much Amon just mourning the loss of his partner. Um, I love the the part where it shows Amon mourning and then it shows Hinami mourning like a parallel shot. It's just yeah, man, perfect, dude. This it's, show is so it's just so good. It really is. It makes me just want to uh, buy it all of the mangas too. Just because you know there's probably extra stuff in there that we don't get in the show. Yeah, it's beautifully animated. Beautifully, beautifully animated. So after with this flashback, we snap back to present day um, where Amon is mourning the loss of his partner as Hinami does the same for her parents, like you said. Um, Toka and Nishiki have a funny scene at the coffee shop where they're clashing. So Nishiki and Toka are both hotheads, obviously, and mm-hmm. they are the worst people to put on the same employee team so funny little uh, freak out don't put them on the same shift no way uh we meet the wonderfully wacky (sighs) suzia juzo so suzia Uh, yeah i love juzo yeah that's what fucking confusing i was doing my research and uh whenever it's in japanese it's juzo suzia and then in the english version it's suzia juzo so yeah so they're in japan they go by their surname first yeah so kotaro amon would be amon kotaro yeah um but yeah it's but if just in case we switch those back and forth that's why um if you're uncultured i'm just kidding when we first meet suzia uh we don't know that suzia is we don't know immediately, but uh, you automatically, he's just kind of weird. You see him, he's like, all right, what was that all about? And then, a little bit later on, you find out he's a special class ghoul investigator. And can I just put this out there, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who's done this with anime just in general. My whole watch through the first time, I thought Susie was a girl. Uh, and it doesn't help in the third season. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, (laughs) she okay. She is super wacky, but I love this character so much. But as you said, we don't know that she's an investigator at first. Our first little uh, viewing of him, and if I say her, fucking forgive me, but um, he he bumps into Kaneki in the streets and pickpockets him. Uh, We uh, go to Hide shows up. uh, Some she he starts showing more signs that. He knows more than he's letting on. Uh, there's like this real intense encounter between him and Kaneki. He's like, we've got to talk. And then he says something mm-hmm. about something random. Um, Amon gets assigned to a new sh- a new special task force. So he's moving on somewhere else. Um, another flashback scene. 
Uh, this one shows Toka when she was a child. It shows her along with her brother and her father as well. So we're getting a little bit of a backstory on her. Also, um, kind of like the first little tracks that we're going to end up meeting her brother at some point in the series very soon. Very soon. And I love how the flashback scenes are shot like a uh, very blown out sun, bright, kind of glowy looking. And it's just, it's nuts. Like the, the level of detail they go through. Yeah. Th- this show and Demon Slayer, both uh, their flashback scenes, a lot of shows, whether it's anime or live action or whatever, a lot of times flashback scenes don't really mean much of shit, but it's kind of like lazy writing almost like, hey, this is about to happen and this is why kind of thing. But these flashback scenes are like straight up perfect. They're character building. They're beautifully drawn. The execution is perfect. And it means something every time they do a flashback. So the like flashback this- scenes are triggered by emotions and words that, you know, the characters say, you know, they're talking about something. It goes back to the flashback of what they're talking about or something vaguely related to what they were talking about. And just to like bring this up, this is a short series. So very short. Most animes uh, as of late are usually around 25 episodes per season. These uh, first two seasons are only 12 episodes a piece, if I'm not mistaken. And they pack in a punch on every episode and they could have very easily stretched this out uh, into longer episodes if they wanted to and still be okay. So things are ramping up and uh, the district. It shows multiple cutscenes of different ghouls in different areas seeking out Rize. And that is where it kind of cliffhangs off. Uh, it's a little bit of, it's trying to misguide you as a viewer because we're starting to see, um, it seems like it's one faction, but it ends up being actually multiple different ones but the the most important one so far these people are trying to find Rize um, and we'll kind of figure out a little bit more why in the next episode but this is a solid solid episode right here a lot of character growth episode 10 is that when we meet Banjo because I don't see it in the notes but I feel like it's either that or episode 11 Banjo with a guy with the the rhombus beard (laughs) <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's where we meet him. So that, that that's actually one of that's I guess one of the sub leaders in yes the this like ghoul people that are trying to find them. But episode yeah. ten, Agiri, Kaneki is kidnapped by members of Agiri Tree, an underground ghoul faction who is interested in his connection with Rize. Meanwhile. Amon is introduced to his new partner, the eccentric and dangerous Juzo Suzia. So, this is a good episode. Um, a lot is happening, and this episode really builds the anxiety of something big about to happen. So, we're well oh, on yeah. our way of our uh, season one finale, uh, which we'll cover in part three. Um, so, this episode starts off with the massacre of a team of investigators. The group responsible for this is Agiri Tree, which is a ghoul terrorist organization, basically. So they are the big bad organization. They are the Illuminati. They are the people pulling the strings in the background. They are the ones to actually fear as ghouls. 
Yes. And uh, Juzo is not afraid at all. No, not at all. Uh, the only thing that is really known about Agiri is they are led by the one-eyed king. And we'll kind of get more into that as the season progresses. Um, and if you're catching on to the one-eyed, how one-eyed ghouls are made, blah, 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 you know, connect the dots. Yeah. So some numb nuts comes into the coffee shop looking for the manager. Uh, that's okay. Banjo. Yeah. I named him Numb Nuts. My bad. Numb Nuts. It's, it's Banjo. <laughs> yeah. His name is Banjo. Um, why he's named after a musical instrument is beyond me. Uh, he comes in there with, you know, two other ghouls that have what looks like gas masks on. They're all um, numbered too. I don't know if you yeah. noticed that. Like it's his, his gang or whatever. Yeah. Like, so they're looking for Rize. He smells Rize on Kaneki, obviously, because he's... You know, wearing her organs, I guess. Uh, he swings on Kaneki. Kaneki ducks a few shots and headbutts him in the chin and knocks him out. Fucking perfect. I love that. Uh, shift scenes to the CCG as they have a huge meeting discussing the failed operation uh, from the beginning of the, of the episodes. Um, so we're, we're kind of bouncing back and forth between the coffee shop and the CCG meeting. Yeah. Um, so so we're both of these meetings are going on at the same time is what they're trying to get at. Yeah. So all these things are about to come to a head eventually and very soon. Uh, the gang's leader wakes up. Um, is it Banjo, I guess? Okay. Banjo, Banjo wakes up at the shop and warns Kaneki that Agiri Tree um, steamrolled his ward and took it over for themselves. And Agiri is on their way to Kaneki's ward to do the same thing to them. So they're taking over. They're steamrolling everybody. It's kind of like a turf war. And at this point, uh, most schools kind of stuck to their own ward. And like, especially the we're in the 20th ward, I think, with uh, Onteku. And, you know, that's it's that's not the 13th. The 13th, 13th. ward okay. for Onteku. And the 11th ward is like the ghetto. So this this is not good for anybody, humans or ghouls that just kind of want to live in peace. Then after, you know, Banjo warns Kaneki that, Al you know, he warns him that Algiri steamrolled his ward. So he's coming over there looking for Rize. But, you know, Kaneki doesn't want to tell him what happened to Rize. Um, yeah. And then, out of nowhere, Ayato Kirishima bursts through the coffee shop window along with the entrance of Jason and yeah. one other very flamboyant ghoul but uh, Ayato is Toka's brother just for reference um, so they have they share a few words with each other and he calls her weak and he, she calls him an asshole basically just to sum it all yeah. up uh, CCG plans their next operation things are ramping up into the meeting when Susia burst into the meeting, being all fucking weird and shit, and everyone's just kind of like, oh, what is this? Susia's just like, hey, sorry I'm late. Yeah, and they're like, who is this child? And, oh, I don't think we uh, mentioned this, but Susia is a child. 16 years old, in fact, I believe. Yes, they apparently let children fight ghouls. Apparently, she's a very special case. Uh, we don't get anywhere close to her backstory anytime soon, 
but it'll make sense once we get to it why she's very yeah. equipped to um you know i think i'm pretty sure in the japanese you know the japanese dub mm-hmm. they definitely definitely call suzy a guy so oh, yeah for sure yeah it's yeah, it's so for like sure he, he but yeah. i think but you're like she <laughs> I don't. I don't know for whatever reason I didn't catch it whenever my, I first watched the show, uh, yeah. like a year ago. So I do remember on this watch through that whenever she pickpockets Kaneki, Kaneki's talking to Hide, and um, he's uh, Hide says something along the lines of, "I can't believe you let a um, a boy pickpocket you," and he's like, "I'm not even sure if it was a boy." Oh, referring that it looks like yeah, very feminine features. Yeah, I'm not um, sure either. It's not important. Uh, Jason it's, it's beats not. the absolute shits out of uh, Kaneki and then abducts oh, him. Man. Like it was, it was very ruthless. It, it took um, that. I, I do not remember the flamboyant ghoul's name, but it's the only ghoul that Jason will apparently listen to. Uh, he talked him down to like, hey, chill out. Jason sticks his whole arm through the ghoul's stomach, and he's like. You know what? You're right. I should calm down. And the flamboyant one is like, "Yeah, okay, let's go. Let's get the fuck out of here." <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. Um, Jason's um, yeah, he beats the shit out of Kaneki, and then he just abducts him. We got a few more. Uh, Yomo and the manager do make it back to the coffee shop. Uh, yeah. They realize that you know what happens. The manager calls a meeting. A full scale evacuation is called in the eleventh ward yes. by the CCG. And everyone from the coffee shop have their meeting to save Kaneki. And then Skiyama makes his fashionably late entrance to the meeting to help the gang save yes. Kaneki. And then it so, things there. Let's talk about this uh, meeting here. Um, so Toka's like, I'm going. I don't give a shit what you say. She's totally thinking the manager's going to be like, no yeah. way. And then he's like, you know, I'm just telling you. You have to be ready to lay your life on the line for this boy if you want to go up in the Aogiri tree and try to kidnap somebody that they just kidnapped from us. Yeah. It sounds like he's trying to talk her out of it. And and then they get to the end of the conversation. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. You misunderstand me. Someone from our group was needs help. We are going to go help them. I just wanted you to know what could happen. And he wanted to make it clear to Hinami too because she was saying, I want to go. Yeah. And then we'll get to what happens with that in the next episode. Yeah, that'll be in part three. So, closing notes. Dude, I think I like this series even more this ne- this this past watch through than I ever did the original. Like, I was already hooked. And really going through this episode and breaking it down, getting into the psychology of the characters, like it just makes me love the show even more. Yeah, it's it's really great because what they did in this whole series is such a good balance of character development, psychology, uh, animation, and story. You know, just the whole thing, how fast paced it is. It's well paced. It's um, even if it even it is. It is fast paced, but it's not like so fast paced that you don't know what's going on until you get to season two. Then you're like, what? Um, and then you figure out what happened in season two. Yeah. I, I um, think the, the biggest curveball in the whole series is probably the 
uh, season three. There's quite yeah. a departure. Um, n- season three not, is definitely biggest curveball. Yeah, it, it for a reason. It, it's by design, but at first you're as a viewer a bit confused about what the fuck is going on. But we'll touch on that like later down the road. Um, yeah, we'll for sure. Cover that at some point. But closing notes. As we are ending this episode, the intro outro song that you're hearing is I Just Want to Be Great by Nefex. The Join the Facebook group, link in bio. Take a second to leave us a five-star review on Spotify or whatever platform that you're listening to this on. It helps more than you can know. So just as we're closing out here, I just wanted to mention we noticed a huge uptick within like the last week on our podcast so for anyone who listened to the episodes click through whatever thank you for your support it, it means so much and it does so much to put us out there for everybody else i'm gonna say uh the japanese word of the day is arigato arigato uh, better yet arigato gozaimasu which means thank you very much i'm just gonna awesome. stick to arigato because there's no way i'm saying <laughs> I'll I'll do this so like this is my so much and for anyone listening uh, I am bowing with my hands uh, together so (laughs) I got to alright I can say that Tanjiro Tanjiro leave us a voicemail Uh, we are I'm very much looking forward to piecing together these voicemails eventually so that we can have a full blown episode and like it'll be like a whole side genre and stuff to itself eventually I, i'm hoping anyways follow me on twitch uh it's at twitch.tv forward slash alexander cahoon link is in show description i jump on there most friday and saturday nights with a bunch of goons and play video games and just cut up it's a lot of fun and our new logo is done by blue room media of one and brandon tell us about blue room media yeah, so Blue Room Media is a media company, you know. We offer all kinds of things, photography, music videos, lyric videos. Uh, basically, anything that you want. Uh, we also dabble quite a bit in 3D animation and hoping to make some movies. And if it's not on his description list of things that he can do, run it by him because I'm sure he could figure it out. I'll figure it out. But that is going to be our episode for the week. Arigato, Brandon. Is that right? Did I do that yeah. right? Arigato. Word. Arigato to the viewers. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for the uptick and support. It means the world to me and everyone on this show. Hey, also, stop by the Facebook group and let us know if we should make a Patreon. There you go. Yeah. Stop by the Facebook group. Uh, jump in there. It's, it's open to the public. Anyone can join at this point drop your funniest anime memes uh if you have any requests drop it there and uh go wild thank you so much yeah boy